Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 246, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, the Associated Press has dubbed Mississippi's jump in reading scores as the Mississippi Miracle. Is that a fair assessment? And just what did Mississippi do to get such great results? Stay with us. Dismiss is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each episode, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea that you can apply in your community. Our guest this episode will tell us why a home visit at the start of the school year can make a big difference. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing this summer? Well, I'm already exhausted. Right? (laughs) Our teachers are back. School starts Monday, and we're running nine to nothing, but it's an exciting time. Right. It is an exciting time, and you guys start early, as we often talk about on the show. You're on the year-round schedule, so here we are in July, and you're about to start. Uh, I am now located in Florida. My little girl is not starting till August 10th, so I've got to wait a little while. So it just wow. kind of depends. Yeah, those teachers still have a few more days of relaxation. Yeah, they still do, but I liked your schedule. I liked the fact that summer was shorter, and we get the kids back, less likely you have a summer slide. Like I like what you're doing, and I'm jealous, even though you're going back to work. I know you don't love that. Well, I guess you've been working the whole summer, but... Well, well, yeah, I work all summer, yeah. so you know it, no. it doesn't take anything away from me. It's just a really fast-paced time right now. Right. We've got a story as I kind of dig through news stories about education around the country. There was one that popped up last month, or no, it would be two months ago. It actually popped up in May, and it was the Associated okay. Press talking about Mississippi, right? So this is yeah. you know the, the, the news feed of all news, right? They feed out to all the news agencies, and they wrote this story, and it was titled, quote, Mississippi Miracle. Kids' reading scores have soared in the Deep South states. Before uh, you even pitch your point, okay, let me hear you. There is no miracle. <laughs> you don't even you don't even like the, you don't even like the word miracle, right? Like you're no, like, this is hard work. Do not because it takes and has taken years of planning and training and really hard work in these classrooms to grow our children. Yeah, no it's doubt. It's a miracle. Right. And so you are a part of this hard work um, that the AP calls a miracle. Uh, but it is a, a good story. But it also is kind of a reflection on how we got here, what's changed, some yes. stats and so forth. So let's kind of break it down for everyone a little bit. And I want you, you are way more of an expert than probably the people who wrote this article because you have been on the front lines this entire time. But uh, just kind of digging through it, you know, Mississippi, apparently back in 2013, um, was the second worst state for fourth grade reading. And um, now in 20 or the, this past year, 2022, it yes, was sir. had moved up to 21st in the country. Isn't that impressive? It is. It's very impressive. There's no silver bullet, though. Tell me, tell me what about it? Like, I mean, has it 
Has it been what I you think thought? Do you, do you see a lot the of things have changed over the last 10 years in the state of Mississippi? One, we can point out our efforts related to the Literacy Based Promotion Act, where we want to first start making sure that all of our third graders are on reading level by the end of that year as we promote them to fourth grade. Then you have to think about all of the efforts the state of Mississippi has put into early childhood education, which does what? Catapults um, the learning skills of our children before they get to third grade. And then we targeted that middle section, fourth through eighth grade. And it's been a collective effort all over this state, getting teachers properly trained in the science of reading. And even those teachers outside of the reading classroom being trained on how to embed those strategies and those skills into their courses like social studies and science Mm -hmm. and even in math, improving the way that we break down our test questions and understanding, you know, literally how, what does this question, what is this question asking us? Because if a child's comprehension or vocabulary, if they're extremely low, that's going to impact every subject area through all of their grade levels. So I just have to just put it out there that tons, and when I say tons, many, many, many hours of training has taken place for teachers and administrators all across this state. Lots of planning and shifts in thinking also had to happen in order for our classrooms to transform. And hey, let's just also be honest. We still have a long way to go, but it surely feels good not to be last. Right. Well, and so as I was reading through the article, it does talk a lot about the training and the efforts that Mississippi put in. It also kind of grabs some neighboring states because they do acknowledge that Mississippi kind of based this law that they put in place back in 2013, a little bit around what Florida had done, I think as early yes. as 2002. Um, but it's it's slightly different in the way it's it's rolled out. But also Mississippi is that that stark case of being really low in the rankings and then jumping all the way up to 21st, you know? Well, see, just that connotation of all the way up to 21st, um, I think over the last, I'd like to say at least last eight years, there's been a slow incline. So we've just been chipping away at it and chipping away at it. You have to really unpeel your standards analysis, look at where we're, you know, specifically which skills we're struggling in, make the appropriate adjustments in classrooms. There's just a lot of effort that's gone in place um, with principals and teachers. But not just that, also bringing our parents aboard. A lot more effort has been put into training our parents and helping our parents understand how to help their children at home. And then, of course, culture and climate is a piece of that. Children have to enjoy and feel safe where they're learning. All right. And I want to be clear to anybody who has not ever heard of this or or dug into it that might be listening. Like, part of the rule is it's like Mississippi will hold students back in the third grade if they cannot pass a reading test. But they also give them multiple chances to pass after like tutoring and literacy camps and so forth, right? Absolutely. And the wonderful thing about it is that, you know, there are interim checks along the way to help you know if a child is struggling and what they're specifically struggling in. So there's just a lot of action plans and specific interventions that are taking place throughout the year. But then sometimes, you know, things get in the way, little test anxiety, whatever the case may be that a child just doesn't meet that performance level of three, which is considered a past performance. And if that happens, then they get a couple of weeks of interventions, intensive interventions, and they do get another opportunity to take that assessment right around the third week in May. And then there's a small percentage of those children who don't meet that uh, requirement at that time, 
Then they are provided um, what's called our summer intervention program. And then through the end of June, beginning of July, they're given an opportunity to take that test one more time. And then those children that meet expectations are able to be promoted to fourth grade. And those children who do not are not able to be promoted to fourth grade unless they qualify for a good cause exemption. And with the good cause exemption, oftentimes we find that some children have fallen between the cracks. They may have already been retained in kindergarten, first or second grade. They already are receiving the intervention support and the State Department allows us to use those options along with having um, possibly an IEP for a learning disability. We're allowed to use some of those options to help those children go ahead and be promoted. But as they're promoted to fourth grade, we then put, you know, specific interventions in place, an individual reading plan. And we track those students closely because we don't want them to continue to be behind. We continue to work together with parents and principals and teachers to make sure that those children are getting those gaps filled. Do you have any data or even a guess of like how many third graders just don't get promoted after all those other, you know, shots of and tutoring and summer interventions and then waivers or whatever. Like who is it one percent are having to take? Oh grade no, again? it's definitely greater than that. Okay. Now, if you're asking me about the state average, I would have to pull that up because I, you know, can't right can't remember that right off the top of my head. But I do want to say that that number has steadily increased each year, the number of students who have met that performance level three expectation. And I'll just give you an example. When this first started back in 2013, you had a lot of school districts living in the 40 and 50 percentage of their children, um, you know, not meeting that expectation. And as time went on, you know, you started seeing them go from that 50 and 60 all the way up to 90 percent um, meeting the expectation. And even some districts are experiencing 100 percent. And that's a wonderful feeling knowing that those children have met the expectations. But we also want to be clear that meeting expectations does not equate to proficiency. A performance level three means met or passed. Right. A performance level four or five is proficient or advanced. So the ultimate goal is to make sure that children are proficient and on grade level. But it sure does help you feel a lot better about the efforts you put in place for children when they meet that performance level three and they're able to be promoted. I, I can tell you're, you're proud of what the work y'all have done and put in and, and these results. I mean, do you feel like the law needs to be modified anything? Do you see things like, ah, well, if we would do this or that, that or, or whatever do you like do you like where you are um <laughs> well I, could, I think it just I think it just depends it's it's stressful for parents it's stressful for teachers but you just do what you got to do if that makes sense it does it does well other states have modeled new laws after Mississippi so it looks like Louisiana maybe made a change around 13 Alabama Alabama made a change uh, even more recently I think Alabama's change and you can like look I'll include this chart in the show notes, but you clearly look at a line graph and you see the spike after the rule changes in terms of, you know, these reading scores going up. And um, it really is neat to see. And it's neat to see the Gulf South, which is often criticized in the world of education, pulling this off and, and becoming a model for the rest of the country. Yeah, it's it's certainly something to be proud of. Um, I've actually had an opportunity to do some presentations a few years ago um, to quite a few of the district leaders from the state of Alabama, and they're just they were just so excited and so interested 
in the process that we followed. And um, they went back and they were able to, you know, put a, a, a plan in place really to figure out how to provide training to all of their teachers. And it just makes us feel good that other school districts are coming and visiting our districts, right. visiting our state department to replicate, you know, what's working for us. Well, again, the AP article is titled Mississippi Miracle, but as Christina says, it's just hard work in Mississippi. Uh, I appreciate your perspective on this. It's nice to have an expert uh, on, a, on a hot topic in the world of education. Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I am ready. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment was recently featured on Chalkbeat.org for doing something that I think a lot of educators would love to do, but maybe feel intimidated by the commitment. Valerie Lovato is a first grade teacher at Denver's Eagleton Elementary, and she's known for being the teacher that tries to visit the homes of her upcoming students before the school year starts. Valerie, thank you so much for being on the show. Great. Thank you for having me. So when, when I first uh, read about this, I thought this is one of those things that sounds amazing on paper, but it's really hard to pull off. What's this like for you? Yeah, um, I think it definitely can be one of those things that you may say, I'll get to it, and then it never happens. Um, so you really have to have the, mo- the self-motivation to complete home visits. Um, and once you start, um, you don't want to stop. You just want to keep going and keep doing as many as you can. How long have you been doing this? I have been doing home visits for six years. Wow. Okay. So, so you definitely are committed to doing this. (laughs) Yes. So what's, what's the feedback been like? Kind of talk to me about like an awkward moment maybe that you had, and then we'll talk about some of the, the, the good moments that you've had. Sure. Um, definitely the, like the most awkward part is actually getting started every year. Even though I've been doing this for a long time, that very first phone call of calling families and saying like, I want to come to your house and I want to visit you in your home, in your space, making that first phone call. I always get butterflies even now. Mm-hmm. I'm always nervous. Um, and that's like, but once I do that first phone call, I'm like, I'm good to go and I'm I'm used to it again. Sometimes parents they they kind of push back a little bit and they say that they, they don't yeah. they don't want you to come over. What do you do there? Um so we will always offer I will always offer a second location such as the park or play um McDonald's. And if they say yes, then we will do a home visit there. And then if they say no, then I kind of just drop it at that point. You then show up to somebody's house. For a lot of people in, who would be in your shoes as the teacher, the educator, that would be a little uncomfortable for folks. How do you, how do you get through that? Yeah. So, you know, the home visits are voluntary and I always make a phone call and set up the home visit. I never just show up at any of my students' houses. It's always a set appointment um, with the families. That's the first part, right? Is that they know I'm coming. And then the second part, what they've trained us is check your biases at the door. And so really just, you know, putting myself in parents' shoes when it's time for them to come to the school for a home uh, parent-teacher conference or for an official meeting at the school, they may be very nervous or they may not be comfortable. And so I just need to kind of put myself in their shoes and say, I'm coming into their environment and it's okay for me to be a little nervous. And I'm really just there to build community and not to judge the family or their environment. Can you give me a specific example of where you feel like you really, this really paid off, you connected with somebody? Um, there was a, 
a set of twins that I had that really um, had a lot on their individual education plan. And I really needed to make good growth with them. Um, and so I started out with one home visit at the beginning of the year to get to know them. And then um, throughout the year, I was noticing different things that they needed. And it was a lot easier to call mom and bring her in. And we had made that connection. And she felt like she could tell me um, things at home that she needed to change, like some of their eating habits and some of their sleeping habits, you know, turning the TV off, eating healthy, that would help them off better off in school. And so we were able to communicate that together. And she felt comfortable telling me that she was struggling with bedtime, you know, and I was able to get her some resources to get the boys to go to sleep earlier. And then, um, because of that, they did end up making great gains within school and have done been really successful throughout the rest of their years. How hard has it been to stay true to this and, and to really be able to follow through? You know, and it happens. Um, actually, last year, I didn't get to do as many home visits because I had some personal um, issues come up and I needed to take care of things at my home. And so I really did not have the time to do it. Um, and our school feels that that's okay, that teachers need to do home visits as they see fit or that they have time to do. And the idea is you try to see as many families as possible and you don't discriminate against who you're seeing. So, for example, I will not go and only see my English-speaking only families. Um, my families that require a translator, I will attempt to see them as well. You know, and I don't only see families with I with students with who have IEPs. I try to see as many people as possible. And if you don't, that's okay. We understand. You try to do as many as you can. So, so is this a requirement for your entire school? No, it is not a requirement. But it is something I guess that's encouraged. Do you, do you find a lot of your yep. colleagues in the school do this? Yes, it's very encouraged. Um, a lot of people do um, home visits. Um, we just had a home visit day on Saturday where a lot of us met at our school here at Eagleton. We scheduled as many visits as we could for Saturday, and we had coffee and donuts together. And then we all went out and did our home visits on our own. Um, I personally did five home visits on Saturday. One of my colleagues did six. Another one did six or seven as well. So, so you said you've been doing this for six years. If, if you don't mm-hmm. mind me asking, how many years have you not been doing this? Like before that, so have you had time to see the, the difference? Yeah. So I only, um, I only had two years of teaching experience before this program was brought um, in. And when we finally like implemented and started doing it, and then um, I've been doing it ever since. And last year, like I said, I didn't get to do um, really any, maybe I did a couple. Um, And I do see a difference definitely with um, students who require a little bit more behavior modification (laughs) Um, within the classroom. We make me and that child usually make a better connection. Me and the family and the parents have a good connection. And so when something comes up behavior related, it's a lot easier to bring that family in for a discussion. Um, Whereas last year, if there were issues, I didn't feel that connection with parents. And it felt like I was always either targeting them or that I didn't um, really care or listen, which wasn't true, but it, you just got that feeling. Yeah. You know, I, I guess it makes a big difference just to be able to shake somebody's hand and, and have a, a face with a name and, and not just mm-hmm. rely on that, that one parent teacher night where you kind of just yes. see the teacher from afar. 
And those come so late in the school year. We don't do ours until the first or second week of November. By then, a lot of schooling has happened. And, you know, it's hard to say like, well, back in October, you know, your kid was doing this. Um, and it's the first time I've met that parent. And then those parent-teacher conferences are really short. I don't have good quality time. I have maybe between 10 and 15 minutes to get in everything business-wise that I need to. Our home visits last between 30 and 40 minutes. When you do the home visit, where do you find the kids are at, in the house at the time that you're there? For almost 100% of the time, I mean, I think I've had maybe two or three in all the years I've done this, that the kids weren't there. But the kids are there. They are sometimes waiting out in the front yard for me to get there. They're so excited to see me. Mm -hmm. um, they're jumping around the living room or um, they're right there at the door answering the door and so excited to see me walking up to their house. So if, if there's some teachers listening to this right now, what would you tell them if they are apprehensive about trying to follow through with this? I would say um, that, you know, I think teachers, if they have been teaching for a while, they know that home visits happen when something bad is going on. Like, attendance issues, you know, psychologists or social workers or counselors might make home visits because the kids aren't coming to school. And I think it's really valuable to turn that around and say, what can I do as a teacher to make a positive home visit? Just like we make positive phone calls home. So many times I find myself calling on all the bad stuff that's happening. Not that there's not much, but for the most part, you know, it's always complaining about something bad. And so turn it around and say, what is something positive I could do to build this relationship with our kid as our kids and their families? And then to know that by you taking that first step of going to their home first, you now have basically hooked them in because you said, you know, I made the first step. I'm coming to see you. So now when it's time for that business side of school, like parent teacher conferences, um, they will be hopefully more willing to come to the school. They won't be as apprehensive. Well, it, it sounds like an incredible program and, and really, yeah. you know, I mean, communication with parents and teachers is so important. I think there's plenty of data to, to back that up. Uh, totally. So, Valerie Lovato, we really appreciate you uh, <laughs> uh, just kind of sharing that message with us. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Yes, let's go. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Reading. Without reading, you can't do anything else. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Um, social emotional um, problem solving how to talk to people how to solve problems what does every child deserve an education what's the biggest challenge for today's educators I guess it would be the kind of the fate of education just it doesn't seem to be people's top priority anymore even though that's what we all need to become successful in our own jobs so I think that's the biggest fear is that people don't take it seriously enough. They don't take teachers seriously. What's the best gift to give an educator? The best gift. Time. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> what career path would you take if you couldn't be in education? A wedding planner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. You, yeah. You have that, good, that high energy social vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what teacher changed your life? 
Oh man, there's a lot. Let's see. Um, I'm gonna have to say my seventh and eighth grade Spanish teacher, Mrs. Worley. Um, she just kept um, kept me interested in learning Spanish as my second language. Kept me involved. She was a lot of fun. She had a lot of energy as well. And she came to my going away party when I studied abroad in Spain. I was already in college, a junior in college, and she was my seventh and eighth grade Spanish teacher. And my mom tracked her down and found her, and she came to my my Bon Voyage party That's to really Europe. Cool. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you buy your school lunch or bring your own? I bring my own lunch. And last question, pen or pencil? Pen all the way. <laughs> all right. Again, <laughs> Valerie Lovato, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and, and hopefully uh, you'll encourage some other teachers around the country to uh, start home visits. I sure hope so. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>